the bowling, sweating in the sun. Felt like a million, felt like number one. The height of summer, I'd never felt that strong, like a rock. I was 18, didn't have a care. Working for peanuts, not a dime to spare. But I was leaning, solid everywhere, like a rock. My hands were steady, my eyes were clear and bright. Welcome, once again, to Moments of Grace. On this episode, we are going to spend some time thinking about The Rock. No, not Dwayne Johnson, the actor. Sorry to disappoint you if that's what you thought The Rock meant for this episode. But instead, that other rock, Peter. Peter, the rock of our doubts, our failures, and our fears. Now, how would you describe your relationship with that first Chief of the Apostles, Peter. You know Peter, of course, featuring in so many of the gospel stories. The rock who was so easily pounded and reduced to rubble. You know Peter, the bold proclaimer of the resurrection, who 50 days earlier denied and fled. Now, 50 days is a long time, isn't it, in order to change your life? And if that is the case, if you know how long 50 days can be and how many changes in your life can be made, then you know Peter. Even if you don't know much about the historical figure of Simon Peter, you know what it's like to be him. To burn hot and cold, to be bold and timid, to be the greatest advocate and the most lukewarm supporter. I think if you are anything like me, that we all have a love-hate relationship with Peter. When I was a young priest, I have to admit, I did not have much time for Peter. I was certain of everything, and I didn't have time for Peter's wishy-washy way of being a disciple. Why couldn't he just get it right? Why couldn't he just see what was happening and be a bold, courageous person? What could be worse than being like a person who, like a hot tap, runs cold for so long before warming up. When I was a young priest, I didn't hate Peter. Well, maybe I did a bit. But now, as I grow a bit older, mature a bit, hopefully, I find Peter to be one of the most frustratingly beautiful examples of faith that I can find. Peter is so blindingly glorious in his successes and failures that I wonder if he may not be the greatest example of a follower and a leader. He blazes ahead, only to be pegged back. He is so courageous and so cowardly that he makes the lion and the Wizard of Oz look like a poor imitation. But deep down, at the heart of everything for Peter, he is the most vivid and comforting test case of God's gracious and merciful love that we could ever hope to find. I hate Peter because he is me. I love Peter because he is me. 
through all of the twists and turns of following Christ and hence being in relationship with our God, we reach the ultimate on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias, where in John's Gospel, chapter 21, the risen Christ sits with Peter over breakfast and grills him about his love. Here is the scene to which I am referring. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, this is one of those times where we must pay careful attention to the original language of our New Testament, that being, of course, Greek. We must not miss what is going on with language in this episode of Peter's life and our life of being with God through Christ. There is the temptation to find Jesus' loving questioning of Peter to be overly repetitive and exacting. But there is a deep truth of God's love for us and God's love for Peter in this questioning. As I mentioned, the New Testament originally written in Greek. And the Greeks used four words for the one word love that we use. We simply use love for so many different things. The Greeks used at least four different words for good reason, because love means more than one thing. Now, in this episode of Jesus and Peter eating on the Sea of Tiberias and then having Jesus question Peter, there are two of those Greek words being used. Philo, which means friendly love, and agape, which means sacrificial love. And so now let's hear the back and forth between Jesus and Peter, substituting those translations of the word love as we go. And so Jesus asks Peter the first time, do you love me so much to sacrifice for me, Peter? And Peter responds, you know that you are a great friend, Jesus. Now Jesus doubles down, asking a second time, Peter, will you sacrifice for me? And Peter responds, you know that you are a great friend, Jesus. Now, we probably want to pull our hair out and shout, Peter, come on, get it right. Jesus wants you to love him so much that you will sacrifice everything for him. That's why he keeps using the Greek word agape. So saying he is a great friend, Philo is not going to get it done. But let's not hate Peter. And let's love Jesus instead. Why? Because of the third time of asking. The third time of asking, Jesus moves and changes to meet Peter where he is. 
And so Jesus the third time asks, not Peter, will you sacrifice everything for me? But Peter, Philo, will you be my best friend? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, I will be your best friend. Now, we may wish at that point that Peter had responded, Now I get it, Jesus. Yes, I will sacrifice everything for you. But if that had been the case, on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias, our story would be about Peter and the change he made. Instead, our story is about Jesus and the change that he made for Peter and the change that he made for us. Love Peter. Because like us, he tests the extent of God's love every day. Love Peter, because like us, he shows us not how much we love God, but how much God loves us. Love Peter, because like us, God moves towards us when we can't move towards God. going to take the guess that you may not remember, or maybe you've never even heard the song, Should I Stay or Should I Go Now, by The Clash. But every time I hear someone say something like, shall we go or shall we stay here? The chorus from that song pops into my head. Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble, and if I stay, it will be double, so come on and let me know. Should I stay? Or should I go? Part of today's reading that we are going to be thinking about always makes me think of situations where it's difficult to know whether to stay or whether to go. This scene in Peter and Jesus' life, the Mount of the Transfiguration, it always makes me think, should I stay or should I go? And it reminds me of times in life where I encounter the same feeling. For example, you were planning on a nice quiet dinner out, only to enter the restaurant and find either a live band playing music or a group of children running wild. And so you think quickly to yourself, should we stay or should we go? If you stay, you know this. This will not be a quiet evening of dining. If you go, you probably know you're not going to get into any other restaurant in Charleston 
and you'll be going to a grocery store and heading home. Or take another example. You arrive at church, at Grace Church, on a February Sunday morning, ready for a quiet, contemplative morning, only to find barely any room to sit, men in kilts, bagpipes, and drums at full blast. And you think to yourself, should you stay or should you go? I need to say that you should probably stay. If it is your first time at a Kirken service, you will leave wondering, what was that all about? But at least you stayed long enough to wonder. We are confronted with many situations like this. Situations like what Peter encountered on that Mount of Transfiguration. The story goes that once he sees Moses and Elijah and the, the transfigured Jesus, that he says, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In other words, things looked to be going so well on that mountaintop that Peter opted to freeze time. Let's stay right here. We don't need to be or go anywhere else. But isn't that always the temptation? When things are going well, why move? When we are being provided for, why move or change? When we have found the source of what seems to be limitless joy, why would we even consider moving on or trying something new? I can't help but think of Peter in relation to the parable of who moved my cheese by Spencer Johnson. That scene on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration correlates so well to this story of who moved my cheese. Now, I won't have time to recount the full story here. It is worth getting a hold of a copy for yourself. But the overall premise is that there are four characters who scurry around a maze in order to find cheese. Cheese that nourishes them and makes them happy. Two of them were mice, named Sniff and Scurry. The other two characters are little people, the size of mice, but who act a lot like people. They are named Hem and haw. Now, once again, there are complexities to the parable that require reading it in its entirety, which you can probably do in 30 minutes or less once you get your hands on it. But for our purposes, here is what happens near the beginning of the story. After finding a very good source of cheese, the two little people get so comfortable in the belief that the source will never be empty that they settle close to it and become very comfortable. Well, one day they walk the short distance to the cheese only to find that all of the cheese is gone. They had become so comfortable that they hadn't even realized that the cheese source was not replenishing itself but getting smaller every day. One bit of wisdom that the little people needed to learn was, if you do not change, you can become extinct. Now we could rephrase it on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration to this. If you aren't willing to move, you might become frozen in place. Now, the Gospel writers Mark and Luke tell us that Peter did not know what he was saying when he said, let us stay here and build three dwellings. They say he didn't really know what he was talking about. Now, on one level, that may well be true. Peter was so lost in the moment that he babbled something that he shouldn't have. But on another level, and let's be fair to Peter, he did know what he was saying. 
He was being a good and faithful Jewish person of the time, trying to put into practice the Feast of Tabernacles. And that feast was all around building huts out of branches, staying in them in order to anticipate or celebrate the Messiah. But for all of Peter's good intentions, I think we must concur with the Gospel writers. He didn't know what he was saying. It was time to go. It was not time to stay. As tempting as it may be to stay in one place, to not move from a place that feels good, we are always being challenged by the Spirit to move, to grow, to change. Peter simply represents for us the joy of the comfort zone. But in so doing, he also represents the danger of the comfort zone. For if we do not move or change, we might find ourselves dying on the vine, stuck in one place, frozen in time. We might even end up saying something like, we've never done it that way before. <laughs> well, let's hope that never happens. Let us not remain stuck in that one place, either in our daily lives or in our lives of faith. The Spirit Circumstances will always be challenging us to move, to grow. And let us always remember, to be stuck in one place, to never change, might mean our extinction. And so, with no further ado, let us listen to that great song, Should I Stay or Should I Go? by The Clash. Early in the morning, Jesus came walking towards them on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. 
Now, whenever I hear that reading from Matthew's Gospel, you can find it in the 14th chapter, my mind goes to Bishop Jake Owensby's book, A Resurrection-Shaped Life, Dying and Rising on Planet Earth, a book that we studied here at Grace last year in one of our book groups. And I would simply like to share, as we close off our thoughts on Peter, the rock, I would like to share with some of with you some of Bishop Jake's thoughts on this episode of Peter walking on and sinking into the water. Now, the first thing to highlight is, as Bishop Jake points out, struggling to follow Jesus, Jesus' example, doesn't make any of us failures or underachievers. On the contrary, struggling to follow Jesus means mistakes and missteps. And those mistakes and missteps are part of what it means to follow Jesus to a resurrection-shaped life. Now, Bishop Jake thinks that that is exactly why Matthew included this episode of Peter attempting to walk on water like Jesus did. The other gospel writers did not include this part of the story, but Matthew did. Why? Well, Bishop Jake says this. Matthew wanted to show us what discipleship meant in light of learning that Jesus is God incarnate. And what does it mean to follow someone who is God incarnate? It means an impossibly high goal for ordinary slobs like us. It's like asking somebody to defy the laws of gravity, Bishop Jake goes on to say. And of course, that's just what Jesus does. He urges us to walk on water. Crucially, he also knows what that will mean for us. It will mean mistakes. It will mean missteps. It will mean times of deep doubt. And that is what we hear after Peter walks on water, but then begins to sink. Because Jesus asks him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You were walking on water. Why did you doubt and then sink? Now, you've probably heard lots of sermons or talks about Peter's weak faith. But Bishop Jake doesn't hear judgment in those words of Jesus to Peter, as most of us do. And neither should we hear those as words of judgment to us when we doubt. Why? Well, vitally, we must remember that Peter was already a disciple of Jesus. This was not a test to become a disciple. This was a test of being a disciple. Which means that Peter took the risk of imitating Jesus doing impossible things. And this is what Peter had already come to expect this early on in his life of following Christ. He had already heard Jesus say things like, turn the other cheek. Forgive those who aren't forgivable. Love your enemy. Give your stuff away because someone else needs it. See everyone as infinitely valuable. Eat with those who you are not supposed to eat with. Now, after hearing that list of impossible things, walking on water doesn't sound all that tough, does it? But this is what our discipleship is supposed to look like. Bishop Jake goes on to explain, Jesus is showing us what it means to live, to have eternal life. Eternal life is loving in a way that resembles God. And yes, while our street address is on planet Earth, this discipleship will be like walking on water. Impossible. We will sink. And sinking is where the growth happens. That bears repeating. Sinking 
is where the growth happens. And here is the crucial question posed by Bishop Jake Owensby and all of our efforts to walk on water. Once we've been brought back to the safety of the boat, will we step back out on those waves again? Anyone would be hesitant to do just that. But living as a disciple of Christ, living a life that is shaped by the death and resurrection of Christ, that is a gradual shaping of our lives. It is a stepping out of the boat, trying to walk on water, sinking, getting back in the boat, and then, well, then peering over the side and deciding to try it all over again. We grow into eternal life one step at a time, Bishop Jake says, and he goes on to say, in a way, it's like immigrating to a whole new world. But that immigration is going to be slow and gradual. One final quote as we can close off our thinking about Peter, and most definitely our thinking about taking that bold, courageous step of faith, of walking on water, Rachel Held Evans writes the following. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. It almost goes without saying that that will take courage and boldness. It hopefully also goes without saying that God is always going to be with us with an outstretched hand to lift us up when our water walking gets us in the deep. But that's what following Christ is all about. Stepping out of the boat, walking on water, sinking, being taken back to the boat and trying it all over again. That is where growth happens. That is where change happens. And we celebrate the boldness, the courage of Peter, who did just that. And so we close off this episode of Moments of Grace by walking on water and listening to the song by Eddie Money, Walk on Water. Well, if I could walk. Yeah.